churches, and uh, those seven churches are listed out there on the board. We're going to go through all the names in a moment here, uh, but tonight we're going to talk about Ephesus, and we laid a ground, kind of a, a foundation over the last week, uh, talking about why we're going to be studying this and, and how there's different applications, doctrinal and practical and historical and things like that. And uh, we're going to get into some of that with this church as well tonight. But look at John chapter, Revelation chapter 2, written by the Apostle John. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, by the way, let me just uh, prepare you. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. And uh, when, when you get seated, I'm going to encourage you, if you've got a pen and a notebook, take notes. Because we're going to go through a lot of information. Uh, and uh, I don't think we'll remember all of it from memory. So I'll encourage you to write it down. And go back over it later. I'm going to tell you right now, for some, it may be review. For others, it's like, I've heard this before, but I'm not sure how to connect all the dots. For others, it's like, I have no idea what planet you are on right now. And wherever you're at in that, here's what I can tell you. If you write it down and go back and look at, at it for yourself later on, it will be a blessing to you. So I encourage you to do that. Revelation 2, verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And I was tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has paid. It sounds to me like in verse 2, God is commending them for having discernment because they understand what sound doctrine is. Uh, you need that in your life. If you don't have sound doctrine, you cannot discern what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I, I, we live in a generation which has, has repeated this lie over and over and over. Here's the lie. If you disagree with me, you hate me. And they're supposed to be the tolerant ones. Uh, listen, you, you can disagree with someone and still love their soul. Okay? Uh, but, but you should know what is sound doctrine and that which is not sound. If you went to a doctor and, and you did have cancer and that doctor said, oh yeah, you're fine. And then six months later you die. You know what you would think to yourself, why didn't he tell me? Well, I just didn't want to offend you. That's, your job is not to worry about offending me. Your job is to tell me what's wrong with me if I'm sick, right? And so look, when it comes to the word of God, we need that in our lives to help move us in the right direction. Uh, look at uh, verse number uh, uh, verse three. And has borne, that means I could carry a burden, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. They had perseverance. These are some good qualities of this church. But then look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, let me just point out, God hates some things. I know the way that people present God is like Santa Claus. He hates nothing, but that's not true biblically. If you had a God that loved everything, he'd be a pervert. And God is righteous, and he's holy, and he's pure. Uh, look down at verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear. If you could do anything tonight, just open up your ears a little bit, right? And let the Spirit of God uh, speak to you. What the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh, Will I give to eat of the tree of life? We're going to talk about where this fits in this whole thing doctrinally, prophetically, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let me go over some things that are historical in nature, are practical, of course, doctrinal as well. 
But there's a great lesson to learn in the church of Ephesus. And it, here's the lesson. They're so right, yet they're so wrong. And I, I, as believers today, as, as a church, New Heights Baptist Church, you know what I pray? I pray that we're not so right and so wrong. It'd be good to be right and be right. Amen. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask for God's blessing. Uh, Brother Sean, if you do that for us, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you will. We're going to jump into this. Before we do that, I have a, a, a request, and I completely forgot to mention this. I won't say the name, but there was a, a gentleman that was here on Sunday that raised his hand that he was not saved. I won't give you his name. I won't tell you about him, but God knows who he is. Who he is. Would you guys pray for that person? Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, let, let's, let's, let me just start with this concept, and here's the concept. Every single dispensation, uh, every single covenant that God makes with man, when I use the word uh, dispensation. What I'm what I'm referring to is this. All right, uh, God. When you go to a, <laughs> I hate to say this, dispensary. You say, what is that? Uh, it used to not mean what you think it means. All right, uh, but you can go to a dispensary in the military and where they'll give you medicine. All right, and and so a dispensary is something that's dispensing something. It is pouring something out. All right. So when we talk about in, in Bible study and the doctrines of the scriptures, when we talk about a dispensation, what we're talking about is a period of time in which God is revealing himself to mankind. God is pouring himself out to mankind. And what you have to understand is that God does that in different ways at different times in the Bible. And, and, and so what we want to do is rightly divide the word of God. We understand we're not under the Old Testament law. I don't bring a, a, an animal sacrifice every Saturday, every Sunday here before the church and, and you put your, the elders put their hands on the head of the, of the lamb and we slit the, the lamb's throat and blood gushes out. We don't do that. Thank God. Amen. Amen. Church is weird enough already sometimes. You don't need to do that. All right. So, but, but I was just saying, that's Old Testament. That goes back that way. That's before the cross. We're on the New Testament side of things now. All right, that's one major uh, uh, distinction in, in the Bible. Uh, but let me just say this. When God dealt with Adam, God did not deal with Adam the way that he deals with the church today. What I mean by that is this. God gave Adam one commandment, and it's this. Don't eat of that tree. You want to live spiritually, don't eat of that tree. Today, if you want to live spiritually, you come through Jesus Christ. So, so it's different, right? Now, now, now think about this. How did that period end? Did it end on a high note or a low note? Positive or negative? Negative. They're kicked out of the garden. All right. So then we move on to the, the age of conscience, all right, where there's no law yet, and, and man is there, and man can call, as it says in Genesis 4, can call on the name of the Lord and allow his conscience to show him that which is right, all right? And so that's the age of conscience. See, how does that end? Genesis chapter number 11, the Tower of Babel. You say, what happens? It, they, they all mess up. 
the world comes together. They basically kick God out, and God goes, oh, if that's how you're going to handle the liberty I've given you, I'm just going to confound all the languages, thus the term babble. When we say someone is a babbler, we can't understand what they're saying, and it's, it's biblical. It all comes from, Gen- from the book of Genesis, all right? The idea is this. In the garden, man messes up. When man has his conscience, man messes up. So God goes, okay, I'm going to call Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. I'm going to put him in, in the land of Canaan. I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to curse those that curse him, and I'm going to make a great nation out of Abraham. And so hundred, uh, a couple hundred years later, I'm going to call Moses out of Egypt and give my law, the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give my law to the people of Israel, and they're going to have the covenant of the law from the Old Testament. And when they do that, you say, what happens? God tells them, I'll bless your children, I'll bless your seed, I'll bless your fruit, I'll bless this and this and that. But if you don't obey my law, I will kick you out of the very land that I brought you into. There's a lot of lessons for Christians practically when you read the Old Testament, look at everything God told them, don't do that, don't go that way, don't be like the people around you. The reason they lost the blessing was they had no use for me. When you go down that road, you are going to lose what makes you you. And that's what's happened with Christians today. Uh, they, they basically say, we're going to be like the world. Once you're like the world, you lose the special calling God has for you. And that's what happened with Israel. So what happens with Israel? Well, when they reject God's law, they go into captivity. What, what's my point? Every single age ends in what we call apostasy. Every single one. All right, so then God goes, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, they, they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't follow their conscience. They couldn't obey that one commandment. I'm going to send my son and I'm going to, I'm going to die in their place. And I'm going to go to my people, Israel. And what do they say? We have no king, but Caesar crucify him, crucify him. All right. And, and then the God goes, okay, then I'm going to turn my attention to the church. I'm going to, I'm going to birth something, a spiritual body that's never existed before. And they're going to have promises that Israel did not have and vice versa. And so God does that. Well, let me ask you a question. How does the church age end? Apostasy. Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I, I'm, I'm going to point this out for a reason, all right? Now, uh, not everything tonight is going to be negative. There's a lot of positive in this, but I think you need to understand that when, when God gives man free will, man messes up every single time. Uh, and the only way to get it right, the only way to get it right is by accepting Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is this, that gives you a chance, you're, if you're here in the church, what that means is you are in a special, unique body that's never existed before, and God has put you in that body, and, and here's the blessing. The blessing is I've got free will now, but because I exercise my free will to receive Jesus Christ, there's coming a day when I'm going to think like him, talk like him, and I'm never going to sin again, yeah. right? So, so that's a blessing, um, but, but uh, where did I tell you to go? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, right? All right, let me show you this because I think this is important to get a hold of. Uh, a lot of people are confused in this passage of Scripture. When the Bible talks about the day of Christ, uh, that's always a reference to two things, all right? The day of Christ is a reference to the rapture of the church and the judgment seat of Christ. If you ran every single reference to the day of Christ or the day of the Lord Jesus, not the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord Jesus or the day of Christ, they'll run parallel and they'll always talk about the rapture of the church and or the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes it's a combined thing. Uh, but the idea is this. When you see that, you know it's talking about these things. What, what is that? Why, why is that significant? Because those things belong to the church. So look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number, uh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, verse number uh, 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and by our gathering together unto him. What does that sound like? Sounds like the rapture of the church, does it not? First yeah. Corinthians 15, First Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, look at verse number 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word. Let me say this as well. Uh, any spirit that goes against something that gives you comfort from the scriptures and comfort from the word of God and comfort from the spirit of God is not the right spirit. In other words, when the Bible says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words, do you know why Satan hates us talking about this? Satan hates us talking about the rapture because he knows it just brings him closer to his own doom. Uh, And so, listen, if there's a spirit that kind of goes against it, you got to know that's not the right spirit. Uh, Look look at verse number three. Let no man deceive you. Uh, I'm sorry, verse two, I didn't finish it. Neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of what? Now, let me say this. People say, Pastor, when's the rapture? I don't know. I'll tell you this. Back then, they were saying it could happen any moment in the day of Christ's hands. So you know what I'm going to tell you right now? Live today as if Jesus Christ is coming back. When you ask me when's the rapture, now listen, I know there's people that will predict it and tell you all on on YouTube and different places, and that's fine. I'm not against them. I'm just going to tell you this right now. The way I'm going to tell you to live is the best way I know how to live based on what the Bible says. And the way they were doing it back then was he could come back now. So if the day of Christ is at hand, that means I should be living in light of that. Now, look what he says about this in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. What day is he talking about? Not a trick question, I promise. What was the last verse we just read? Day of Christ. That sounds more confident. At first, like, day of Christ. I'm going to make sure I'm not wrong. It's day of Christ. That day shall not come. The Bible's simple, honestly, when you just read it like this. Except there come a what? And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I don't want to go into all of that, uh, but I will say this. There are two things uh, that are going to happen before uh, the day of Christ. You say, what's going to happen before that? Well, the falling away of the church and the revealing of the Antichrist. Now, that doesn't mean you're in the tribulation. Don't, that's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, it's very clear from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, you're not in the tribulation. The idea is this. We are the church, and the greatest picture of the church is John, who just happens to be the guy that's writing the book of Revelation to us, and John is called the beloved disciple. Question, didn't Jesus say he loved all his disciples, John 17? Then why is one of them called beloved? How about this? For God so loved the And yet he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. John's a great picture of the church. John's sitting there in John chapter 13 at the Last Supper, and he's the only disciple that figures out who the betrayer is, who the son of what? All right, look down, if you would, at uh, uh, verse 3. Look at the last phrase in verse 3. Who's going to be revealed? So you know what I think you, you can get out of this is this. Before the day of Christ comes, I'm not telling you to look for the Antichrist. I think you ought to be looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. But I'll tell you this, according to the scripture, I strongly believe that if you're in your Bible and the Lord happens to manifest some things before we get taken out of here, you can see some things that the rest of the world will not be able to see. Just like John did when the other disciples did not. All right, you know what the key is? You know what John had that the rest of them didn't? John had a real close fellowship with Jesus Christ. Do you know what word showed up more in the latter epistles of John than, any, than in any other book? In the New Testament, fellowship. So we're going to talk about this. This is all connected, I promise you. I feel like a crazy person trying to draw the, the, the map and all the lines, you know. But the idea of fellowship is very closely connected because the name Ephesus means this, fully purposed. 
And boy, they were fully purposed. They, they had some things that were, they had it down, man. They, they had doctrine, they had it down, they had some things figured out that a lot of other churches didn't. And I'm going to go through some things in the book of Acts to show you why that is. Now, when we talk about Ephesus in regards to a historical place, uh, that was, and I don't have a map, for, I'll have it next week when we go through this again, uh, but uh, it was in Asia Minor, which today is pretty much Turkey. All right, and it was kind of on the closer to the, the western seacoast, and so Ephesus was, was a real city. There was a real church there, and we're going to go through some of the things in Acts. Go to Acts chapter number eighteen, real quickly. Acts chapter number eighteen. We got go, got to move quickly, so I'll talk quick. You look quick. We'll get through it quick, right? Uh, because we know the snow is falling, and we want to make sure we get home safely. So, uh, Acts chapter number eighteen. Acts chapter number eighteen, and notice this is the first reference to Ephesus in the New Testament. All right, so Acts chapter 18, look if you would, at ver- verse number, by the way, we call it the law of first mention when you study the Bible, and you notice the first time a word or a principle shows up, and so the first time Ephesus shows up, it's connected with something very peculiar, it's connected with people getting straightened out with their Bible. Uh, look at Acts chapter 18, and look if you would at verse number uh, 23, and after he had spent some time there, he departed, this is Paul, talking about Paul the Apostle. He departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, don't have time to go into all that right now, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to where? This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Watch this, though, knowing only the baptism of John. So just time out for a moment. Uh, when John the Baptist shows up, uh, John brings a, a baptism for repentance for Israel. That's what it says that John's uh, ministry was all about. He, bring, he uh, brings a baptism for repentance to Israel. You read about that in the Gospel of John. Okay, so this is before the cross. It's Old Testament. The law and the prophets were until John, Matthew chapter 11. So the idea is this. When you read this, and, and you read that this man, Apollos, is over on this side of the cross, and he's still preaching this, you know what that means? Someone's got to help him get caught up. It's not because he's a bad guy. He's a good man. He's diligent in what he knew. All right, I'll say it to you this way. There's people in our lives, and, and, and maybe different denominations and things like that, and, and I'll just say this. It doesn't, throw denomination out the window. Some folks will be Baptist their whole life and don't know, know enough Bible to work their way out of a paper bag if they got stuck in one, all right? So what I'm getting at is this. Throw denominations out and simply understand some people don't have the Bible like you do, and so it's your job to help correct them and bring them along. Question. Where was it that you read about this? And you know who brings them along? Look at uh, verse 26. Aquila and Priscilla, it's a couple. And they were tent makers that worked alongside of Paul as well. And they brought this guy along. You say, what did they do? They corrected him and they instructed him in the scriptures. They brought him. The first time Ephesus shows up, someone shows up preaching there. And that person doesn't know enough about what's really going on to preach effectively the right message. So what does this couple do? Do they stand there and go, you're an idiot, you don't know your Bible, what's wrong with you? No, you know, they pull them aside and go, brother, good job. Good job preaching. But let me help you out. You're missing some things. Like this whole Jesus thing, you're missing that. <laughs> All right, so he had to get caught up. So where did that take place? Ephesus. All right, you're gonna, that, that's important. Now, now look at uh, Acts chapter 19, one chapter over. Look at verse number uh, 17. Acts chapter 19, verse Paul goes through Ephesus a number of times uh, in his missionary journeys. 
Look at verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, uh, also dwelling at where? Ephesus. Ephesus. All right? And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So we're learning here that there's correction in the Scriptures, and there's also something called repentance that shows up in Ephesus. How do you know? Look at verse number uh, 18. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts. That's magic. Right? That would be some of the New Age stuff that's out there today. Brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Where did that happen? Ephesus. All right, so you know what you see? Ephesus is, is associated with correction in the scriptures. It's associated with repentance. But there's another side of Ephesus, and that's the, 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 the side outside the church. I'm not going to go through it all, but basically in chapter 19, uh, there's a reference to Diana. Uh, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. She's a virgin uh, uh, goddess that protected the woodland creatures and stuff like that. They called her, the Romans called her Diana. The Greeks called her Artemis. False god, false deity. The point is this. When those people heard Paul preaching and they thought that they were being threatened, their way of life was being threatened, they almost killed Paul. They got a bunch of, for two hours, can ma- imagine someone screaming for two hours straight, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. You say, what, what, what is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's some people that are very, very, very determined. Now, let me say this. People, when they're lost and they're determined like that, but for the wrong thing, if you can get them saved, boy, they flip over the other way. Now, let me say it like this. Uh, Paul the Apostle Man, they had to kill that guy to get him to stop. Can I get a witness? They had to chop his head off to get him to quit preaching about Jesus Christ. Who was that guy before he got saved? He was Saul that was bringing men, women, and children, throwing them in jail, having some of them killed in the name of God. He, gets, he sees Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 9, falls to the ground, gets saved, and his life is gloriously saved. He's never the same. And that guy that was killing Christians is now flipped this way for Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Now, the idea is this. The Ephesians were hardliners. Man, you show me the right way, boom, I'm going. Can I say this? That's a strength. That's a great thing. But I've learned this. I've learned this about Christians. I've learned this about human nature. Your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. And and, and I think what you see in the story of Ephesians, look at Acts chapter 20. Go one chapter over the right. Uh, one of the greatest warnings in Scripture is found here in Acts chapter 20 about how to handle things in the church. And, and when Paul is about to go, and he knows he's going to die, he's not going to be able to come back and see them again. He knows where he's headed. He's ready to die. And he, he meets up with the elders from what church? Uh, look at Acts 20. And uh, look, if you would, at, uh, oh, let's see here. Uh, verse number 17. Verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to where? And called the elders of the church. So he gets the elders of the church of Ephesus. And I want you to look at what he says. I don't, I don't try to read all of it. Uh, but, but I want you to see, look at verse number 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Why? Why is he pure? Why, why is he? He can say my hands are clean in so many words. Why? Verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, I gave you guys everything that I knew from that book. I gave it all to you guys. And then you say, what is that? It's a reminder that the Ephesians, man, they were students of the word of God. 
and they, they received sound doctrine. So what does Paul do? Look at verse number 28. Uh, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after the, one of the greatest warnings that Paul ever gives to a church is right here in verse number uh, 29. I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own what? He's giving a warning about them. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember is what he says in the next verse. So you know what that does for those that wanted to do right in Ephesus? It had them kind of like this. And man, if you, were, if you weren't right and you were preaching something that was wrong doctrinally, man, you're out. And that was a good thing. That wasn't the problem. You understand, God commended them for that. Go back to Revelation chapter 2, because I, I, I should go to Romans 16, then we'll go to Revelation chapter 2, Romans 16. Now, I'm going to give you some Bible that I think some people may not appreciate. Uh, maybe you struggle with it. I don't know. But I learned this a long time ago. I've got to get to a place in my Christian life, if I want to walk with God, where I put my feelings aside and go, okay, what is right biblically? I can never grow to the extent that God wants me to if my feelings are superior or my feelings or my emotions are the authority in my life over what God says. All right, look at uh, uh, Romans 16. Romans 16, look at verse number 17. Now, Jesus is the one that says, when someone smites your cheek, you turn the other cheek, right? Nothing wrong with that. All right, pray for them that, that despitefully use you and hate you. I think that's right, okay? And you need to learn to balance these things out. When someone hates you, pray for them. Don't gossip about them. Pray for them, all right? Uh, when, uh, when, when someone has, has, basically, I'll say it this way. When someone has hurt you, right, it does not mean that you necessarily put them in a place of trust, but it does mean this. When I am ministering to people, I'm going to get hurt. Uh, the illustration is like this. Christians are, are human. We are still human after we get saved. And every once in a while, our lives are broken. And you know what we're called to do? To help pick up the pieces. You know what happens when you pick up broken glass? You get cut. You cannot minister to others without getting hurt. You say, what is that? That is the, cro- that is the cross we're called to bear, to follow Jesus Christ. Was he not hurt for our sakes? Well, it's going to happen to us as well. The, the idea is this, that's part of the Christian life. At the same time, understand this much, when it comes to doctrine within the church, God wants things done decently and in order. The church is not meant to be a smorgasbord of doctrine. It's not meant to be a circus. It's not meant to be a zoo. God wants this to be his house and things done his way. Uh, look at Romans 16, verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? which ye have learned, and what's the last part? Don't, 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 don't run with them. Avoid them. <laughs> uh, and, and listen, you're in a day and age where you can avoid them physically, but they'll show up in, in, in the digital way. You've got to learn to just say, hey, well, you do your thing and I'll do mine. Uh, but the idea is this, biblically, man, that's, that's sound doctrine. You are not going to improve. Oh, it's 2023, and you don't know. Uh, l- listen, you're not going to change. You're not going to make the word of God better by we're in 2023. It's what it says. It, it means what it says. And for your own good, you need to learn to do that. Now, you say, what, what did Ephesus have down? They had that down. They were fully purposed in going, that's not right. That's not right. That's not. You say, what do you call that? Discernment. 
you need discernment in your life. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter number five. Hebrews chapter number five. Man, Olivia's not very old. She's, uh, she turns a year old tomorrow, actually. And uh, man, it's been such a hard year for me, you know, nursing and all that. <laughs> Giving birth, it was so hard. I'm, anyways, uh, pray for my wife. Pray for my wife. But, but Olivia turns one year old tomorrow. And you know what she's already figured out? Sugar. Mmm. Celery. Ugh. You understand what I'm saying? Like, they, they get that stuff figured out pretty early. You say, what do you call that? Discernment. I'm not saying it's the right kind, but it's there. The idea is when you begin to grow in your walk with the Lord, you need to be grounded in sound doctrine. You know what Paul gave to the church of Ephesus? Sound doctrine. You know what they were? Fully purposed. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. And, and people argue who wrote Hebrews. I'm going to give you my thoughts. It doesn't say. I think God does that sometimes just so we don't know. Just to see, do you want to find out? Do you care to find out? Do you care to learn and dig and see what does the Bible say? Look, cross-reference. And I'll just say this. When I read Hebrews, and I understand it does not jive with the rest of Paul's writings to the church. I get that because a lot of what's written in Hebrews is written to people over here. Uh, and I get that. But, but I'll just say this. When I read Hebrews, I, I feel like I'm reading Paul. And, and let me show you one of the reasons why, just one small reason why. Hebrews 5, do you remember what Paul says in Corinthians about ye are yet carnal, ye are still babes in Christ? Look at Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse number 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Oracle, all right, you say, what's an oracle? Uh, we're running out of room here. Uh, oracle, oral, mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So an oracle is something that God has spoken. We have it recorded in that book. So he says this uh, in regards to that, uh, uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of what? And not of what? Strong Strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a... That doesn't mean like, whoa, what a baby. That's not what that means. That means like you're a baby, all right? And furthermore, by the way, that's not an insult. When you first get saved, that's exactly what you are. And it's an awesome, wonderful, wondrous, glorious thing. But what Paul is getting at is, listen, 10 years into this thing, if Olivia is 10 years old and she's still crawling on the ground and, and she can't talk yet, we would think there's a development issue. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of anyone. We would look at that and go, there's a problem. There are Christians that are saved 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and because they never get in this, and they never say, this is my final authority. Regardless of a family, regardless of emotions, regardless of politics, regardless of what society says, pop culture, God, you're right, I'm wrong. If you never get there, you'll never grow. And so what he says is this, if you are unskillful in the word, all you can handle is milk, you can't handle strong meat. All right, now, if I went to Olivia and gave her a steak and cut, even if I cut it up and gave her a steak, she's probably going to choke on that. She's got two little tiny teeth down here, little things sticking up, and she's barely got little things coming out of her choppers up there, and I don't think she can handle steak. You know what she can handle? Banana and oatmeal. You know who can handle steak? You, all right? Uh, you know, pizza, no problem. You can't do that with a baby. Eventually, they get there. The idea is this, so look at verse 14, strong meat. Belong to them that are of what? Even those who by reason of use have their senses, watch this, exercised. I don't, I don't need you to raise your hand, but just, just a question. Who here works out? You carve out time 
to go work out, whether it's at a gym or in your house. All right, well, does that not take preparation? Sure it does. You take time, you put your shoes out at night, you get your clothes out, you might drive somewhere in the morning. I'm not saying that's bad, that's a good thing to do that. It's a good, great discipline, all right? But I'm gonna say, you go through all of that, why? To exercise your body. Not a bad thing, but understand this much. You ought to exercise your spiritual senses. And the only way to do that is to test what you want and what you think against what God says. To test what someone else says against what God, that's called discernment. That's called the ability to say this is right and this is wrong. We are losing that in the church. The world has already lost it. Now it's spilling in the church. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. We don't know what they're saying. Listen, if something is right, biblically, it's right. It doesn't mean you've got to be a jerk for Jesus and get in someone's face and tell them that they're wrong about everything. I'm not saying that. But you ought to be able to look at something and go, that's not right, biblically. Because the Bible says X, Y, and Z. So you know what Ephesus had? They had that down. And that's a good thing to have down. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, listen, I'm gonna give you, I'll give you an illustration. You know what you have got in the Old Testament? You start, you keep reading through Genesis, and bro, Tony, you keep reading your get there. Uh, but over in Genesis 18, the Lord shows up, and he shows up to Abraham. You know what Abraham's doing? He's sitting in his tent in the heat of the day. And he's sitting there. You know why he's sitting in the door of the tent? Because, man, if it's hot, you don't stay inside of a tent with the, the flaps closed. Man, you, get in the, you get in the doorway and try to get some air in there. So he's sitting there here the day. He said, it was that pretty humble position. I mean, Abraham's got riches and he has goods, but he's sitting in a tent in the land in the middle of nowhere. And then you got his nephew, Lot. And you know where Lot went? He went to the city. When Abraham said, okay, Lord, I'll go to the desert land if that's where you want me. I'll be wherever you want me to be. Lot goes, I'll take the city. You know what Lot's doing? Lot is sitting in the gate of the city. You know what the gate is? It's a, it's a, it, when someone sat in the gate, that was a, a position of authority and power. That said, I'm important in this city. He did that in Sodom. Where's Abraham at? A tent. Well, who does God show up to? I'll give you one guess. Now, you know what happens? God gives Abraham the discernment to know what's coming, the judgment that's about to come. This guy, not a chance. He only escapes because of his relationship with God. And let me add this, and I know we got mixed company. You know how his story ends? Uh, in a cave, committing incest with his daughters. It's disgusting, it's vile. It's in the Bible. You say, why? I'll tell you why. This one word right here. When you quit applying discernment in your life, you have no idea how far you get. Do you think for a moment, when Lot was living with Abraham, that if you had given a little fast forward to the future and shown Lot how his life would have ended, he would have been like, oh yeah, that's how I expect it. I don't think so. He would have been like, there's no way I'm going to do that. You know how it happens? Letting go of one piece of your life at a time and going, uh, I don't know, no big deal. Society says, it's 2023. My feelings, I'm not sure. Can anyone really know? The Bible's antiquated. It was rewritten by men. Blah, 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 blah. And what that really is, is you don't want to have to. And when you notice someone else has discernment, it bothers you because they can stand on their own two feet and go, God says. Now, uh, Christian, let me tell you this. You don't, want to, you don't want to be in a place you start letting that go. You let that go, and you have no idea how far that could go. Now, look, the Ephesians had that. The, the church of Ephesus had that down. As a matter of fact, uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I tried to warn you. We're going to look at a lot of scripture in this study. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
And uh, look, if you would, at verse <clears throat> number two. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at... Where? Ephesus. All right. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. Anybody else know where it was? Okay, all right, all right. It was Ephesus, all right? And then this is when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other what. Then he goes on to tell them, don't give heed to fables. You know what he said? Stick to the book. Stick to this. It'll help you have discernment. You know what the Ephesians had down? They had that. You know what God says? I see your works. I see your labor. I see your patience. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. I see you have no, you can't not bear them which say they are evil. All right. Uh, he talks about those that say they are apostles and are, they, they, they've uh, basically said they, they were apostles and they were liars. You say, how do they know who apostles were? Well, I didn't write the book, but if you go back to Acts chapter 1, you know what you learn in Acts 1? An apostle would have been someone that was there. I'm going to flip this back over. From the baptism of John through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you know what happens in uh, the Ephesian church period, where that, that period of time is 33 to 200 AD, when we talk about the picture of, of, of Ephesus and what it pictures in church history. You know what happens during that time? You've got the, the original apostles. Judas gets out the way, they add Matthias. And you know what? Outside of that, Paul, he's one born out of due time. All right, but you know who the apostles were generally? Paul's an exception. The apostles were Jewish men that were followers of Jesus Christ that were chosen by him by name to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And they were there from the baptism of John all the way to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what, what the Ephesian church could do? They could note those who said they were apostles and were liars. And they found them liars and they said, you're not an apostle because God said to be an apostle, you had to fit this criteria. And so you, you say, well, what did the, uh, the Ephesian church have? They had this right here, and they had it down. Now, what's the problem? You know what happens with every single one of these churches? God gives all the good stuff, and then he gives a rebuke. He goes, everything you got right? Now, let me tell you where he went wrong. You know what that is? That's a loving father. Uh, a father that just tells you you're nothing but a low good, no, good for nothing, that's a terrible father. I'll also say a father says, you're beautiful, you're perfect, you're wonderful, you never make it. I mean, that, that's a, that you, you're, you need correction in your life. It needs to be balanced, right? And, and so basically what you have is you've got the Lord saying, hey, here's everything I see. You got works, you got labor, you got patience. And by the way, if you have patience, you know what that means? You're going through stuff and you're sticking with it. Tribulation worketh patience. All right, so they've got all this up. They can't tolerate those that are evil. They, don't, they try those that say they're apostles and are not, and they found them liars according to what the criteria was in Acts 1. But there's one rebuke, and here it is. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And here's why I think you can be so right and be so wrong. Now, let me give you a little bit of a warning, church family. Um, I, I don't believe this about our church. I genuinely don't. I'm not saying this to puff you up, but I believe I have the best church in the world. And I, I love my church. And I think if a pastor didn't feel that way, he ought to hang it up and go do something else. Uh, I, I mean that. And I know you got your issues and all that. And you say, well, I've got this. Nope, nope, don't tell me. I just think you're perfect. It's good that way. All right? Uh, but but all, all joking aside, I know you got issues, but I love our church. And I love what God's doing here. It's special. It's unique. And one of the things that makes it unique is that when people come, they genuinely feel welcome. They feel that you care about their soul. All right. Well, let me just give you a little bit of a warning from Ephesus. Because if there's ever been a church 
that, that, that runs in the potential danger of falling in the trap of Ephesus, it's Bible-believing churches like ours. And here's why. You learn that this group is wrong here, that group is wrong there, this doctrine is false, that doctrine is false. The Bible says, and you need that. You need that. I'm not taking away from that. But what ends up happening, if you're not careful, is you become an expert in how everybody else is wrong. And you let go of the most important thing in your life. It's your fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's your relationship with Him. Listen, I, I can tell you different groups are wrong and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know why when I preach on Sunday, I don't spend 90% of my time pointing out what every other church is wrong. Or, you know why I don't want to do that for you guys? Because that's not going to help you in your walk with God. You know what's wrong with a lot of YouTube stuff? And I'm not saying it's all bad. We've got our stuff on YouTube as well. I'm just saying what's, what's, what's off with a lot of stuff that gains a large following is let me tell you everyone else it's wrong. What about you? You need to be like Michael Jackson. I can't believe Pastor just said that. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Some of you guys are way too young to know what's going on. Uh, you need to look in the mirror and say, what about me? What about me? Or how's my fellowship with you? You know what he told them? They lost their first love. Well, you know what the first love is? It's Jesus Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Remember when you first got saved and you're reading the Bible and you just couldn't put it down? Come on, some of you, some of you I'm going to throw myself in there, been to Bible school, and you go, well, I've got X amount of chapters to read. I'm going to read them. Okay, check out. You know, your problem is you're cold. You can tell every, you can rightly divide. You can tell everyone what, what's, what's wrong with their doctrine. You can point out where this is wrong and that's wrong and, and what false teaching is. And you can go online and, and say, man, Joel Osteen's a crackpot and whatever else and, and, and point out all that stuff. And yet, you're not where you ought to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to point out, he, he talks about their works. He talks about their labor. He talks about their patience. I want to I show you something that I, I think might be a help to you. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Can I say this? You need enough Martha in your life to know where the opportunities to serve are. And you need to balance that with enough Mary in your life to know when to shut up and sit down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Because it's not all about doing stuff. Sometimes it's about sitting and being still and letting him speak to you and rekindling that relationship. I tell, I tell you know, I, I give this counsel to anyone that's married. You ought to date your spouse just like you did when you were not married. Because if you only date him whenever you're seeking the ring and then after that, it's like, well, I got him now. You missed the whole point of the whole thing. It's to pursue that after you get married. That's how it works. I'm going to tell you right now. I've been married to her for 23 years. I still don't have her figured out. You say, you know why? Because we're different. I ought to be pursuing her for the rest of my life. That's the way God designed it. Well, let me ask you a question. What about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I'm saved. Well, okay. Are you in love with him? Do you laugh at what he laughs at? Do you even know what he laughs at? Do you watch things that he would enjoy? Do you know what he would enjoy? Do you, do you, do you, are you surrounding yourself with things that he loves? Do you even know what those things are? See, when you love someone, you take time to figure that stuff out. 
This isn't about religion. This is about a real relationship with the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to show you something that you see in Thessalonians that's missing. There's some words that are missing from the Ephesian church that you find that Paul addresses. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look if you would at verse number 3. I'm going to say something to these young people. You have the best life that anyone could ever get. You got parents that are in church that love God, that are encouraging you to read your Bibles every day. You got youth group leaders that look out for you. You got a church family that loves you and prays for you. Let me tell you the danger you're going to run into, though, is to take it all for granted. And to just assume that it's all about checking the boxes. Yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. And then your relationship with God is garbage. And when you leave the house, you don't know how to walk with God because you didn't do it when you lived at the house. And I love them. That's why I'm just I'm trying to help them out. And some of you know that because you've been through it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 3. Remembering without ceasing. Can I ask you a question? When you're not around, how would somebody remember you? This is how Paul remembers Thessalonians. We're remembering without ceasing your work. Is it, does it just say work, or are there two words that follow it? You see, they had works, Revelation 2, but these folks had works of faith. How, keep reading. Notice this. Their labor of what? They had labor. What's missing? Oh, and then look at this. Verse, four, verse number three. And patience of what? I'm going to take you to one last place in your Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I didn't get to it. We're running out of time. I want to kind of stay on the practical side of things. But if you look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about the, the, those Ephesians uh, you know, doing right and having access to the tree of life. That is a tribulational doctrine thing. That is not about us. Uh, you read about the tree of life, and we may get to it some other time. You read about it in Genesis, and you read about it in Revelation 22, verse 12, if you're, if you're taking notes. And people that have access to the tree of life have eternal life. Well, you go, I want that. No, you don't need that. You have Jesus Christ. It's way better. Uh, but people, the nations, Revelation 22, the nations that go out into eternity will have access to the tree of life in the New Jerusalem. All right, And so the Lord is giving a message to people that go through the tribulation, and the Ephesian church is a picture of that as well. Not only is it a picture of church, uh, church and church history, but it's a picture of something that happens in the future, as we talked about last week. And it talks about them having access to the tree of life. That's a kind of a side note. Uh, look at, uh, where, did, where did I just tell you to go? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now look at uh, verse number 13. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And now abideth, watch it. Faith, hope, and charity. See, what is that? Love that gives. And the greatest of these is what? You know what's wrong with Ephesus? They lost that loving feeling. You know why? They had filled that void. Let me just say this right now. Intellectual understanding of God does not replace relationship with God. I'm not saying that you, you need to have one or the other. It's supposed to be both. It's not meant to just be, well, I love God, I love God. Well, what does he love? I don't know, but I love him. You need the Bible to know what he loves. But never miss the mark and understand that you're here just to consume knowledge and intellectually gain information. That's not it. You gain that information so that you can walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 5. Christian, can I just give you this in closing? The Lord wants you to understand the greatest of all these things. You say, why is charity the greatest? Because it's going to last forever. It goes out into eternity. 
when there's no need for faith anymore because you're going to be seeing God face to face, there's no need for hope because you're going to be in heaven. You know what you're going to experience forever and ever and ever and ever in charity, love. Amen. And so you know what the Lord is saying? You as a believer, he wants you to get a hold of this. Don't leave your first love. Let me ask you, how's your walk with the Lord? Do the things that excite the Lord excite you? I, I can tell you, I remember, Now I had more time on my hands as a single young man, but I remember being in prayer sometimes for hours and just getting lost in it. He said, we don't have that much time, preacher. Yeah, but other time goes to other things that don't need to go to. How's your relationship with the Lord? Let's all stand. Every bed bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask you to help us get a hold of the lesson that you want us to get a hold of. Lord, for the church of Ephesus, Lord, in understanding that they had some things right. Lord, they had a lot of things right. And yet, Lord, they were far from you. And Lord, you give them some warnings in there. Lord, about removing their candlestick, removing their light. Lord, we don't want you to take...